Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Oh, we have a good episode for you today. You have come to the right place. Welcome to the Speak Aloud podcast. My name is Grant. I'm glad you are here. And I am excited about today's interview, today's guest. We are talking with, well, before we get there, before we get there, hey, we got a, a tool that uh, I, I get asked all the time. People ask me like, Grant, how do I know how much I should charge as a speaker? And so finally, we put together a, a calculator. If you have not used this before, it's a lot of fun to kind of tinker with, play with. Speaking fees are not an exact science, but this will get you in the ballpark. Stop by and check out myspeakerfee.com, myspeakerfee.com. You're going to answer a couple questions there, and uh, we'll tell you exactly within a range there of how much you should be charging as a speaker. So if you haven't already played with that, make sure you check that out, myspeakerfee.com. Now, Today, we've got a great guest. We had this guest on back in episode 117. Today, we're talking with my buddy Marcus Sheridan. And Marcus is an extremely successful speaker, and uh, he's really built his business in kind of an unconventional way. So, he had a lot of misconceptions about speaking early on when he got started. And uh, so, we kind of break those down and, and how he's kind of overcome those. So, for example, he had this huge misconception that he believed, and you may currently be believing that he discovered is not true. We're going to bust that myth right out of the gate here. We also talk about how his perception of speaking bureaus has evolved and changed. We talk about how he thinks about speaking fees and, and quantifying the value that you offer. And then, uh, then at the end, I ask him a final question. He starts with saying, quote, what I'm going to say, you're really going to disagree with, Grant. So you're going to enjoy that conversation. This is really a, a wide-ranging conversation and discussion with Marcus, a lot of good stuff here, and uh, I think you're really going to dig this. So let's get right into it. Enjoy this conversation with Mr. Marcus Sheridan. What's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here today, joined by my buddy Marcus Sheridan, who is uh, one of the hottest speakers around. And I don't just <laughs> say that visually, because he is a stunning young man, but uh, he's also a just a uh, he's a busy dude. He's got a lot on the plate and a very, very successful speaker. So uh, Marcus, thanks for hanging out with us today, buddy. Dude, I'm so glad to be back and uh, love this audience. Your podcast is easily in my top like two or three that I listen to, right? And cool, um, so for me to be a part of the show again is great. Cool, man. Well, we really appreciate that. We had you on way back in episode 117. We haven't had too many repeat guests, so you were one of the few. You're an elite company, my friend, but you uh, certainly deserve that and earned that. So I want to talk today about what your business model looks like, because there's an article that you wrote recently just talking about how you've really built your business in large part without bureaus, which is one of the things that people oftentimes assume that you need. I, I get the question all the time of, how do I get in with a bureau? And I, I tell people, like, if you can't book your own gig, there's no reason that a bureau is going to be interested in booking you. And there's 
a, a speaker bureau president friend of mine who always says like bureaus manage demand. They don't create demand. So again, if you're not already booking your gigs, like what makes you think that a bureau is going to do that for you? So you've done a great job in building your business completely apart from any type of bureau. So for context sake, why don't we start by just kind of talking through what's your business look like today? Like how many gigs are you doing? What types of audiences are you speaking to? What kind of topics are you talking on? And uh, then we'll kind of, we'll go from there. Yeah. So let me give you the really quick backstory in that on that article. And I'm going to answer that specific question. So a couple of months ago, I was sitting with some buddies, some speaker buddies, uh, and I would say they're all, you know, within the professional space. It's their, really, it's their main source of income. Yeah. I said, guys, I, I discovered something recently. I was, had another bureau that contacted me, said, hold the date. And it didn't go through. And I said, daggone it. It was frustrating. Yeah. But then I went, it caused me, I had one of those moments. I just said, I'm going to look back. Because it was like the fifth or sixth time that this had happened with a bureau. And I had never, over the course of the last seven years, gotten a bureau gig. Yeah. Which had always been this big frustration to me. I'm like, how come bureaus, I feel like I'm busy, but bureaus don't seem to want to pay attention to me. Well, for whatever reason, right? Like, all of a sudden, my life would be better if a bureau said, yeah. hey, Marcus, we want to take you on and like really represent you. And so then I went and looked back. And I've been doing this for about six, maybe seven years and I looked at it, it's over $2 million from the stage. When I say from the stage, I mean specifically from keynotes and workshops, from both, because yeah. I consider both a, a sort of stage. Not cool. consulting or anything like that, just from you show up, you give a some type of talk for, for whatever period of time. Yep. And uh, that got me thinking about it. And so I, I told my friends, I was like, I've done over $2 million and I haven't had a bureau. And one of my buddies, who's yours bureau, so he almost like, like spit out his food at dinner. He's like, that's crazy. Like how, how did that happen? So I said, you know, maybe I should write about it. Maybe I should talk about it because although I don't like to, it was a slippery slope because I'm like, I don't want to come across as, as that guy sure. or that gal that is bragging, Oh, look at me. I've made it or I've, because you know, we're all in this, this path, right? This trail. So once I started looking at it, I said, okay, how has this happened? And just to answer your question there though, about what does it look like today? I mean, it's, I'd say on average, I probably give around Anywhere between, um, you know, 55 to 70 gigs a year, mm-hmm. like different types and whatnot. Probably half or uh, probably 50 to 60% are either keynotes of some type mm-hmm. or speaking to a company of some type. And then I've got another group that is, would be more workshoppy, okay. right? More workshoppy, which, you know, might be a smaller group, like sub 50, and it's working at that company. Right. And so this year... Like the numbers will probably some because, and I only say this again because this is relevant to people that are listening. And I would like to know. So speaking this year, probably about seven hundred and fifty thousand or something of that nature. Yeah. And it's gone up exponentially. Like, like it was probably last year is probably around I don't know three fifty to four. Mm-hmm. And the year before that, it was probably around two fifty to three. Yeah. So that's been the basic trend right. of, of what's happening, right? And so, but I've learned some things, of course, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but learn like what, obviously something got to that 750 mark and we'll hopefully take it further than that. And I'm sure that'll come up in our conversation. Yeah, definitely want to talk about that. Let's go back for a second though, especially early on in your career, you're booking a few things on your own. You're starting to get some yeah. traction and momentum and you're in a spot where a lot of speakers find themselves of, 
okay, in order to break through to whatever that next proverbial level is, I have to get in with the bureau. Like the bureau is the end all be all is what it feels like for a lot of speakers. And again, I hear a lot of speakers who ask me the, the same type of question, how do I get in with the bureau? So I'm curious, like in your own mind, like why were you thinking that a bureau was so pivotal to get in with in order to, to make that leap to booking more or higher quality type of gigs? I think what the, the problem is, is what happens is it's really easy to look at a few of the well-known speakers that, that you and I might know, mm-hmm. right? Sure. Say like the wonderful wonderful folks like Scott, sure. you know, Scott Stratton. Yep. And it's easy to look at Scott and say, well, man, Scott, I know he's doing a million dollars a year. Allison Levine, like doing plus a million dollars a year. They both have great representation. They're amazing speakers. And so because they're amazing, they get asked back. The Bureau believes in them. And so it's a great symbiotic relationship. Right. And it, it's a big win. But the, the reality is, Reality is that type of relationship with bureaus is extreme. It's in this extreme minority. Most can't make a living off of a bureau. For most, it is a supplement. But I didn't realize that, Grant. I thought that in order for me to be a really successful speaker, man, I mean, and at first I was thinking, if I ever do a couple hundred thousand dollars a year in speaking, that's really, really successful, right? So I thought, I can't get these leads by myself. I can't get these gigs by myself. There's just no way that that could happen. And so therefore, I thought I would have to have somebody selling it for me and putting me in front of people. And I realized that's just really not so much the case in the speaking industry as a whole. Not at all. In fact, some of the most successful people that I know now, especially since I wrote that article, so many people have come to me and said, yeah, Marcus, you know, I'm I'm only getting 10% or 15% of my gigs from bureaus. And I would have, I would have sworn they were bureau-based speaker. Right, right. There's also kind of the misconception, especially with with people who are kind of up and coming in the in- industry, that if I could just get listed on a bureau's website. <laughs> what a joke. That yeah, is nothing. Right, that is totally. The biggest joke ever. The idea, like there's certain jokes that like I'm listed with a bureau is a joke. It means nothing yeah. whatsoever. Right. It's, it's just like and I don't mean any harm here, but it's the same as like if you're told to hold a date. Holding a date means nothing because what's going to happen is more often than not, you're not going to go through, right? You, for whatever reason, you know, you're one of five or you're one of six. And so these are the types of things it's like unless it's really happening, we can't look at it like, oh, I've, I've, I'm, that's actually – Empirical data, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not going to equate necessarily to success. And in fact, I think sometimes I wonder because, you know, you get these as you start to elevate, you, you get on more and more lists of bureaus and like, there's another list that's not going to sell me. Yeah. And why am I even on the list? What does it really matter? Yeah. 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 That's uh, so true. In fact, I was talking with a um, president, a friend of mine who runs a speakers bureau. And uh, I remember asking, I don't remember the exact percentage. So I don't want to get it wrong, but it was something to the effect of, you know, there's probably a thousand speakers on the website and they probably consistently book, you know, 20 to 30% of them. Of those 20 to 30%, I would guess it's just kind of an 80, 20 Always to 80, all 20. the yep. way, all the way down. So of the 20% that they're actually booking, 80% of those 20% are doing the bulk of the work, right? And then those, and it just keeps going. So my guess would be of the of a bureau with a thousand speakers on their website, how many speakers do you think are actually making a full-time living from that bureau? What do you think? Less than... So my guess would be 50 to 75. Yeah, yeah. Of the thousand. Yeah, 
I would, yeah, I would agree. Facts. And so again, I think just some of this is just kind of to demystify some of the, some parts of the speaking industry. And I don't think we're here to like bash bureaus. I mean, they have, they have their place and they have their place. No, they have, no, they have a clear place. I mean, heck, if a bureau came to me tomorrow and said, hey, we want to have 100 gigs for you, Marcus, would sure. you do it? I'm going to be like, yeah, sure. That's wonderful. Oh, right. wonderful. But we get, we think that that is the basket. Yeah, yeah. Where we're supposed to put our eggs, Grant. Yeah. And what we should approach it as is that is the supplement. Our basket is everything else that we're doing. Yeah. All the stuff that we're doing to build up our brand, a bureau within our brand, like like totally. like we are our own bureau, right? right? And we gotta view it that way instead of being dependent on somebody else. Especially that's what's gonna give you a business model that's built to last. Totally. That's gonna withstand change. You know, because if you're just completely dependent on a bureau, what happens if the bureau goes out of business tomorrow? That's happened in our space. Sure, absolutely. You see, I mean, we've heard of it, right? right. So when that happens, are we going to be prepared for that, right? And right. so, so this is a relevant conversation. Totally. And I, 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 we were talking a little bit beforehand. We, I know we've talked a little bit about this over the years. Of my business has been very much similar. Of I've done over 500 paid speaking gigs and, and probably 10, maybe 15 have come from bureaus and just kind of random things that, Hey, if it falls in your lap and you happen tomorrow, great, but you're not building your business based on that. So I'm curious for you though, what point did you start to make the mental shift of, okay, I'm going to stop searching for bureaus. I'm going to stop searching for agents. I'm going to stop searching for someone who's going to do the work for me. And I have to be the one to take ownership of finding and booking gigs myself. Like, do you remember at what point maybe that mental shift took place? I think it was probably somewhere around the middle portion of 2017. Okay. And I mean, I kept holding out this hope. It was like this thing I was thinking about all the time. Why can't I get with a bureau? But like my, my income was rising, yeah. but I was still thinking about it. And it was, it was actually just sucking energy, I realized. And I now have, I have a company called Marcus Sheridan International, right? And I have a gal that runs that. Her name's Jamie. And I brought her on. And she sells my gigs now because I just found that it was much, much more effective. Like it was hard for me to ask for the money. Yeah. Because I'm always the nice guy. Sure. Right. And so I, I, I got somebody to do that for me. And she really runs that business now. It's just really, really great. And she told me once, she said, she said, look, I wish you would just stop worrying about these daggone bureaus <laughs> and start focusing on how we can continue to grow this. Yeah. She said, one of these days you're going to realize there's some list out there that all the bureaus own and your name is on it and they're just not going to represent you and we won't know why. We're not going to understand why until we see that famous black mystery <laughs> list, but you're on it. So let's just move past that, right? And so we we moved past it and we started treating it like just the whole business took off from that point in time and rates changed and everything changed. And I was able to focus much more on things. And, you know, now the way we nurture is so amazing. The way we nurture events and event organizers, it's fascinating. And I'm like, man, how much money did I leave on the table over the years? Because I just came in, I did my thing and I left and I never really did it the right way. I don't think. How many speakers do you feel like are looking to get in with a bureau or looking to get in with an agent because like we know that booking gigs is just hard work. And so it's a lot of planting seeds. It's a lot of following up. It's a lot of having systems in place. It can be very tedious and monotonous and repetitive and, and boring. And so it's just a lot easier just to, to feel like that the finding a bureau or finding an agent or finding someone else who will do that work for me. And I, I have speakers who reach out to me all the time. Can you just find me gigs? And I always like, 
I jokingly, like half joking, half serious, say, we don't catch fish for you. We'll teach you how to fish. And right. so like what we were talking about earlier, like you, you don't, like, I don't want my livelihood to be based on someone else, right? I want to know how to fish myself. So why do you think it is that so many speakers are just searching for that that bureau well, or someone this else? Isn't a, I don't think this lifting. is a speaker thing, Grant. Grant. The, the principle we're talking about, this is a human principle, right? right? And the human principle is we are adverse to pain and oftentimes the, the pain that leads to the growth. In other words, obviously I speak a ton on digital stuff, right? I speak on video, I speak on sales, I speak on marketing, communication. We tend to say, okay, I'd rather throw $100,000 on pay-per-click advertising this year than come up with an amazing content marketing program that's going to generate way more in the long run, but because it's going to take a little bit more time yeah. and because I'm going to have to get my team involved and because it's going to be harder, then I'm just going to continue to throw $100,000 at pay-per-click, right? This is what so many companies do. Sure. And then they wonder why they can't get ahead when it comes to digital. And so we often, it's like, if you have a route to choose, this might sound counterintuitive, but I really believe the harder route is almost always the better route because you're going to grow a lot more. Mm -hmm. You're going to learn in the process of taking that route and you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to be like, wow, I now know exactly how to do this and we can be really, really good at it. Yeah. It seems like there's also, there's, there's a big difference in skill set between being a speaker and being an entrepreneur. And so mm -hmm. there's a, That's a good point. so speakers are oftentimes we really enjoy the craft of it. We love the art of it. We love being on stage. That's the fun part, right? But oftentimes, and, and tell me if you found this to be the case, I find a lot of speakers are very unorganized. They can may not be the best at details. I remember several years ago, like uh, there was a speaker who came to town and I went up and met up with him and, and he had arrived in town. He was headed to the gig and he was asking me, Hey, what are the good hotels in town? Like he didn't even have a hotel for that night. Right now. I don't it's think crazy. that that's necessarily the norm. I don't think it's the exception either. And so for the follow-up, the work that goes into booking gigs is just because it's a lot of work, because it's a different skill set, do you find that a lot of speakers are just like, I just don't even want to do that. All I want to do is be on stage. I'm the, it's like the artist side versus the business side. You strike me and just, and in, in, in how I know you, as you are a good mix of both. I think there's certainly speakers who are that mix of both who, yes, I'm good on stage, but I also understand the business side and how to run the business. What are, you, what are your observations on that? Well, I mean, you make a, a really legitimate point is that if we're going to be really, really successful at this, we have to treat it more than just a, a skill of getting on stage. And I am running an actual business. So it's like, you know, I'm a speaker, but I own a speaking company. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? It's yep. a speaking company. We, we think about it. We eat it. We breathe it. We think of things like, you know, what is the best gift to send out afterwards? What are the best personal touches that we can do throughout the process? How can we make it easier on the event organizer so they just stinking love us to death? What do I need to do to make sure that they're saying, my goodness, he was the easiest speaker ever to work with? And, or in this case, Jamie was so easy to work with. You know, often she gets told, I just don't, she's like, you guys are just so much easier to work with than so many other speakers. I'm yeah. thinking to myself, are we a bunch of divas in this space? Like what is going on now? Clearly the people I know don't certainly come across me as divas. Yeah. There's must be something going on in this space because I'm telling you a lot of event organizers say that it is difficult to work with speakers. That's a fact Yeah. because now that, I, that now that I've become so intimate with so many of them, right? 
they start to open up. I'm really? like, really? Is like I'm, I was like shocked yep. to find this out. And so, can we be different? And of course, the answer is yes. But we can't sit there and say, I only want to do this because we chose the wrong business for that. Right. The fundamentally, fundamentally, we are in the business of trust. We happen to use words to make a living, but we have to do whatever it takes to get that trust before we go on stage, while we are on said stage, and then we got to work the you-know-what of it after we leave the stage. And if we do that, we just might build a business in the process. Right. Do you find that a lot of, like in your conversations with a lot of these event planners, that speakers are the more the diva type? Or in my observation, it tends to be, they're not necessarily divas, but they're not necessarily easy to work with, meaning that they, little types of touches of when an event planner emails you and asks you a question that it doesn't take them a week before they hear back from you, or they have to follow up with you multiple times, or whenever they ask for the, that you get the contract to them immediately, that you, when you say you're going to be there at 10.30 a.m. for the sound check, that you show up at 10.30 a.m. and not 10.40 and you just kind of roll in with your Starbucks and you're just kind of, so it's not necessarily that they're divas, it's just that they are, they don't treat it as a business. And they don't think about those pieces that make the life easier for the event planner. Like I've, I've straight up told event planners, like part of what you're doing is you're hiring me to be great on stage. But part of what I'm trying to do is also make your life really, really easy. Because if I make your life easy and I'm mediocre on stage, you'll still want to work with me on, in the future. Oh, that's a good point. So I think you stated it better than I did. There is a set that are just that, let's be honest, they're, they're unorganized yeah. in some way. And, and I am naturally unorganized. So I've surrounded myself with people that make sure that I'm not. Yeah. Right. I have an assistant that handles my, my travel. Right? right. And so considering that 80% of flights are delayed or canceled these days, it seems like that it's really good that I have that person. I made that call so that when I have those emergencies or just general booking, she can take care of it and she can coordinate that with the event. I had that over time. Didn't always have that. I have Jamie, of course. She handles all those things like the numbers. She handles the contracts. The people, when they say yes to us, they get a contract the exact same day. Yep. The exact same day. Like they never have to wait for it. It's really, really fast. You know, we're incredible with paperwork, like little things like that. Now, there is some, I think there are perception of Diva though yeah. with some speakers. How does that happen? It happens like when the event organizer says, Geez, you know, we've got this issue. Can we go from 45 to 35 minutes? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, why would I care about that? Yeah, no problem. Yep. It doesn't hurt me. They're going to pay me the same. So why would that bother me? Or if they if they say, gee, we've got this issue, you know, I'll just say, let's let's go. I'll go long. How about I go 15 minutes longer? Or somebody says, like, uh, what are your requirements that you have, Marcus? And I can see that sometimes they're like bracing for the requirements, <laughs> like literally bracing. And I'm like, uh, I just want to make sure everybody's got a great name tag so I can read the name as I walk by and talk to the crowd. Like, that's your only requirement? That's my only requirement. Are you sure that's your only requirement? Yes, that's my only requirement. Do you have a microphone too? Uh, just a microphone and a bottle of water. That's that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, that's exactly right. Sometimes you're like, you know, we really want to use some of these video clips from your talk. We've had some issues with speakers before about using video. I'm like, which is beyond my realm of understanding. And some of my good friends don't allow their talks to be recorded. I'm like, what, what do you mean? Yes, yes, yes. Show this video of me speaking to everybody in the world, please, please. Why would we not want our stuff to be seen? That's an example. 
So going back to whenever you were getting started, at some point you're doing a few gigs and it's a it's kind of a pastime, it's kind of a hobby, this is kind of a fun thing. And at some point you made the mental shift to, no, this is a company and I need to treat it like such and I need to treat it like a business and I need to have systems and I need to start bringing in people that can supplement where my weaknesses are. At what point did you start to make that mental shift? Because that's hard to do when you're doing, you know, you have a full-time job and you, you do five gigs a year versus doing... 75 gigs a year making high six figures. So at what point did that mental shift start to take place for you? Well, you know, I, I had an agency during this time period too. I mean, so, so at first I own a swimming pool company, as some people know, mm-hmm. and that's the whole reason I got into, into speaking because I almost lost that company. We did some really interesting things online that ended up being innovative. And so I started writing and speaking or first writing about what we were doing which transitioned to people saying, hey, can you show us how to do that? And so it naturally opened up people saying, can you share that story from our stage or can you show our company how to do that? And so I saw two clear business models. And so over the course of about a year, I transitioned out from being just a pool guy to my business partners essentially bridged me to, because now they were being so, they were so successful because of what we had done Mm -hmm. that I could start to distance myself and, and do some other things. And so I opened up the agency side, which was the consulting side. And I started hiring employees for that. And then I started, you know, realizing, okay, speaking needs to be my main thing. And it's going to be easy for me to grow the agency that way. And that's when I started to say things like, I think by the third year of doing it, I realized I suck at selling myself. Even though I teach sales all day long, for whatever reason, Grant, I just wasn't very good at selling myself. Why do you think that is? Because a lot of speakers are like that. Well, I, well, part of it was because, like, you know, my, I've got a good friend, Ian Altman. You and I both know Ian. Ian's amazing at selling himself. He teaches sales too. He has no problem with it. And part of it was, I think, is because I was a pool guy for 10 years of my life. And I was thinking very just um, blue collar. And, you know, it's like I never made more than $100,000 a year until probably, I don't know, it was probably like 2000 and. 11 yeah. or something like that, 2010, 2011. So I was coming from this place where to me, to ask somebody for $15,000 for an hour was unbelievable. Still it's unbelievable. Still yeah. hard. Yeah. It's still hard to fathom it. I yep, still totally. can't believe it. And it's why it's, it's like this amazing, blessed life. It's just so amazing. And although I can say it now, I just know that it's, I'm just much better if somebody asks for me. And can be the bad cop because I always want to be a good cop. And plus, I always want to say yes. I want to go say yes to everybody. And somebody gives me this story about how they saw me somewhere and they told their whole team and they only got this $2,000 budget. I'm just going like, I'm like literally trying to justify in my mind, you know, I need to go do that. Now, you should do that at first. But eventually, if you want to maintain your sanity, as you all know, Grant, at some point, you got to say no to certain things. And I need somebody that says no for me. And I need somebody that asks the right amount for me. And I realized that by around year three, but I never found the right person until really around year five and a half. And that was when Jamie came into play. Do you think that some or a lot of speakers have a difficult time on the fee side of it? And because one, like if, if we were all independently wealthy, we would do this for free. And so we just like doing it. So any opportunity that we have to do it is, is a win. But two, it seems like speakers, because we're the product, we have a difficult time separating ourselves from the product. If I quote you a price and you say no, you're not saying no to the service that I'm offering. You're saying no to me personally. So do you feel like we have a, a difficult time just taking that, that rejection? I think it's partly rejection, but I actually think, this is what I really believe, that we forget 
the legitimate impact, financial impact, a great speaker can have on an audience. Sure. Now, you know, for example, anytime I start to just waver to myself, I'm like, Marcus, how many case studies do you have where the company, just because they did exactly what you said, they generated an additional million plus or sometimes five, sometimes 50 million because I've got plenty of case studies now. How many case studies do you have where, where the revenue gains were in the millions and all you charged them was 15,000 bucks? Yeah. What a deal. It's a great ROI. Right? So I, for, I forget that. Yeah. I forget that. And so because I, because I think as, as speakers, sometimes we're really looking at it like we get paid by the hour. We don't get paid by the hour. <laughs> we get paid for the potential gains that the person's going to get if they do what we actually suggest. Yeah. That's what we get paid for. And if you add up all those actions in the time it takes the audience for said actions, that's what they're paying for. Right, right. And once I, once I understood that, I was like, okay, yeah, yeah. And so there's been many times when you know, we're in that 15 range or that 20 range, whereas before I thought that was a legitimate fortune, and I still do. But I say, though, it's because the fact that the financial implications – of them taking action on the words are so profound that we actually greatly undercharge compared to some of these folks. Yeah, yeah. Which is true, which is true. Now, my buddy Ian Altman gets that. Ian, he would always, you know, he mentored me for a while, and he said, you always have to define three things. He calls it I3, issue impact importance. What is the fundamental issue that the audience is having? What is the financial impact that it's having? You have to have agreed upon financial impact that it's having. In other words, oh, because we're not doing these things, I'm guessing it's probably costing us as a whole about $10 million a year, yeah. right? And the importance, how, is import, how important is it to fix this problem right now? And so if you understand this I3 issue impact importance, you quickly realize, wow, okay, we've got a million dollar problem and we have the potential to solve it for 15,000 bucks. That's a pretty solid deal. So one of the things I'm curious about as it relates to that is, what about what, what would you say to someone who's going, okay, that makes sense if I'm speaking on sales or marketing or I'm speaking on something that has a very clear ROI and some type of association or corporate space. Let's say I'm speaking to a nonprofit or I'm speaking in the church world or I'm speaking to elementary students, right? Um, about having good character or making good decisions where it becomes much more difficult to quantify what the dollar ROI is for bringing that speaker in. What would you say to that speaker who's going, well, I, don't know, I don't know how it translates for me. Okay. Yeah, sure. So if talking business, then we probably talk about revenue potential, sure. right? But we have to really understand what that story is because it's actually easier to sell. In my opinion, the value of changing a child's life, like what is that worth yeah, yeah. to society and to the child? Is that because some, if you said, what is that worth? They said, it's, well, there's no amount of money that could, could, could really cover that change. If I could change my, you know, all these kids forever, the implications would just be monumental and it's worth more than any amount of money. Right. Right, right. And so I actually would argue that it's easier to view the non-business place. In some ways it's easier to argue that point, but it goes back to what is the impact? So what is the issue? Children are suffering in some way, shape or form. What impact is this having on the child, their home, their family, on their community, and on culture as a whole, on society yeah. as a whole, right? Yeah. And once we really understand that between the speaker or the whoever's selling it and the event, an agreed upon this is the impact of what's actually happening here, well, then we can now move forward with, okay, here's what it's going to cost. Yeah. But the problem is most speakers, most speakers don't define – what the issue, what the impact, and what the importance is with the event organizers beforehand. 
Makes sense. Very well said. Let's bring it full circle with this. You mentioned, uh, and part of what stemmed this whole conversation was you believed at the beginning of your speaking career that in order to really build a successful speaking career, that you had to get in with a bureau, right? That's a misconception that you have since realized, okay, that's not accurate. That's not true. I'm curious, is there anything else looking back that when I started in the speaking industry, I felt like, ah, uh, it, it's this way. This is the way it works. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you something that's totally going to like, you're going to completely hundred percent disagree with. I can't right. wait. Because it is the thing that you harp the most on your podcast. Okay. Which is choose your niche. Okay. And really target on that. Okay. Now, I might say this, you might say, well, actually, Marcus, you're saying what I said, but I'm going to uh, I'm gonna put it like this. I realized over the last three years that it wasn't so much about the subject matter. It was about, could I induce discovery with the audience? Self-discovery. And so what do I mean by that? Okay, let me give you a couple examples of what I mean by that. I had a company um, saw me speak at Content Marketing World uh, two years ago, okay? And this, one of the marketing heads from, this company's from India, and she came to me and she contacted me and she said, Marcus, I just watched you at Content Marketing World and I really love how you tell stories. Would you be willing to teach my company how to tell stories? Yeah. Now, at first, I'm like talking with Jamie. I'm like, I, I'm not really like this. That's Tamsin Webster. That's probably not me. And she said, no, no, no. That is you because you are a master at telling stories and you've never really thought about it before and you've never discussed it with an audience before. And it's time that you break through on that. Yeah. I'm like, okay. And so to make a long story short, I did one engagement for them, which led to three other engagements, three trips to India that I've taken this year to speak to them. And now it's way more than storytelling. It's on presentation, it's on sales, it's on the whole nine. And it's that's one example. I had another company that approached me and said that I'd spoken to already now. Okay. Already. And remember, if you get if you have a seat of trust. They are looking for reasons to bring you back. I believe this to be true. They're looking for reasons. And sometimes you just got to give them reasons. And so in, this, in the case of this company, they said to me, you know, Marcus, we loved having you out uh, last year. We're really going through this hyper growth. Could you come in and talk about how to maintain a powerful company culture while growing quickly? Now, I've never spoken on that before, Grant. Mm -hmm. Never spoken on that before. And so I thought about it for a second. I said, yeah, yeah, I could, I could give a talk on that. And here's really quickly what I did. And I'll, I promise I'm closing this point. What I said was, excuse me, what I did was I developed a keynote for them that was four questions long. The entire keynote was four questions. Okay. And so the first question was, tell me one act that a coworker did last year that had a major impact on your job or your life. Mm -hmm. And I had everybody write that down. They had to write an answer. And then they had to share it with the group. And there's about 100 people in the room. And I led a conversation where everybody was sharing. To make a long story short, I never even got to the fourth question. I think I got two in by the time the hour hit. And the organizer said, that's the best keynote we've ever had. Now, my point is this. I am not a grow your culture guy. But I am good at helping people have conversations that lead to self-discovery. And so once I realized that, I said, you know what? It's really not so – the subject matter isn't nearly as important as my ability to have a conversation with the audience about that. And so that's why this year I probably – if you had, if you said, how many subject matters have you spoken on? Topics, Marcus, have you spoken on? It's probably somewhere around 
eight or nine totally different ones. Interesting. Do you want me to chime in? Yeah, absolutely, man. I know that was a rant. (laughs) No, it's not a a rant at all. I don't necessarily disagree with the way you frame some of that. So the things that stood out to me is those people that those clients that were bringing you in to do something that was outside of what you'd normally done. It sounds like they are either clients that you had worked with before. So they just knew you. It's kind of like, we just want Marcus. Like we don't even necessarily care what you talk. Here's something we're kind of interested in you talking about. We just know we want you not only because you're amazing on stage, but we know you're amazing to work with off stage. So that's one thing I'm hearing. The other thing I heard was the initial story that you told of someone who saw you at content marketing world was I've seen you speak. And so yep. I know I'm, I'm interested in hiring you either way. So I think that the difficult thing is that, especially for speakers who are still trying to figure out what is it that I speak about, because I have all these different subjects and topics, that if I'm trying to outwardly talk about that and outwardly, what do you want me to talk about? I can talk about this all of those things. That is a that's point. where, that's where, so like from your, like going back yeah. to even your pool company, if you said we do pools, we do hot tubs, we do landscaping, we do lighting, we do interior, we do exterior. And all of a sudden it's just like, Whoa, 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 you do all those things versus someone who said, Hey, I know I've talked to you. We have a pool and a hot tub in our backyard because I had a good conversation with you and you helped me a ton with that. But if I went to you and said, I just trust you. And so can you give me your two cents on landscaping around it? You would probably say, you know what? That's not exactly what I do, but here's my experience with that. Right. And because it's not like this far-fetched thing of saying, Hey, can you also help me give me some feedback on the paint color inside of the, my office? Right. Which may be a stretch. So my thought would be that those things are not as far of a stretch versus what you've already done. Right. So let me see where we meet on this. Cause I think, I think you're I making disagree. a good point. No, no. I think you're making a really good point because I'm reflecting right now. Right. I'm reflecting on what you're saying. We became the most, the largest fiberglass pool builder in the world and the most traffic swing pool website in the world simply because we mandated we're going to become the best teachers in the world when it comes to fiberglass pools. We stopped doing all retail. Yeah. We stopped doing all hot tubs. And when we made that shift, that's when the whole business really, really changed. Yeah. Right. And we shifted towards digital, right? We yep. said, we're going to be the best teachers in the world with that thing. Now, when I started producing content quickly, I realized my main focus was going to be content marketing inbound. It wasn't all these other other things yep. that I'm talking yep. about today. And so to get noticed in the marketplace, I 100% agree that at first, especially just to get that initial gig, yep. that initial CMW, whatever that thing is, that you become known, as our friend Mark Schaefer might say with his great book, no, that you become known for at least one thing yep. first. And once you have that seed of trust, now you have the opportunity, like you said, if the person said, I saw you speak or I've worked with you before. But I think I think once you have that foundation and you start to get a few clients, my challenge to people is say, you know what, do they trust me? And is it possible that I continue to bring the value? Because the fact is so many speakers, they speak once for an organization and that organization, for whatever reason, believes that's the only thing they do. Sometimes yeah. that's the only thing the speaker thinks that they do. When in reality, we're leaving potentially 5, 10, 20x. Uh, you know, I've got one company I've spoken to seven times in the last two years. Seven times. Yeah. Seven times, Grant. It started with one. Another one that's six. And these weren't like, they didn't start off. It's easy. It's much easier to get hired for six different events from the get-go because, hey, we're scheduled for six. They didn't plan on having seven times. Yeah. It just, it just kept going that way. And I said, you know, by the way. I could see how your team could benefit from this. And they said, you do that? Like, yeah, dude, 
I think yeah. that one could, I could crush that with your audience. And I know your people by now. I know your team. We can make this really, really special. And so I think we're actually saying the same things. And I figured we'd get to that point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, so a couple of thoughts that like come to mind there would be especially, and I know you've built your business, you have a large part of your business that comes from repeat clients. And so oftentimes if you go do one talk, they assume that's the talk that you could offer. When in reality is going, if I'm going to come back in year two, they're going to most likely want to see a different talk. They're going to want to see a different presentation. But if they've bought into me as the speaker, as the product, and they're just going, what else is on the menu? Because I don't even, it's like a really good restaurant of like, I just know that that restaurant, whatever's on the menu is going to be amazing just because it's that particular restaurant. And so I think it would be the same with you of just going, what else is on the, on the market's menu? Because whatever's on it, I, I want it. Well, I hope that is the case, but I think it goes back to, to your point, though, my, I do know what my core strength is. Yeah. And my core strength is inducing self-discovery with audiences because of this, the engaging style leading a conversation. Yeah. That's what I'm really, really good at. I'm very good at leading conversations, and it could be a group of 500 or it could gr- be a group of 50, whichever it is, because they leave feel, like, feeling like, man, that was like, whew, that was like a spiritual experience. That was really, really... <laughs> special like i want some more of that well then i can say you know we can we can do that we can do that and i just hope anybody that's listening to this is that you're saying to yourself am i really taking full advantage of that seed of trust that i have am i suggesting other topic areas because the folks that listen to this are talented yeah they're talented and they're teachers that's what they are this is what we are as speakers and i'm sure as this day is long that you that you have way more in you than one keynote or one little presentation or one little workshop. That's fundamentally not true for anybody listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said, Mr. Sheridan. So, uh, man, we appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us and uh, share with some of your insights and story. Maybe we need to have you back. Let's let's pick a couple topics that we can kind of riff on and discuss. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I could really talk about this. Well. Go, go toe for toe <laughs> on that. So, hey, if people want to find out more about you, where can we go? Go to MarcusSheridan.com. MarcusSheridan.com. That's the best place uh, to find me. Email, me. email me directly if you want. Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com. Beautiful. And I would encourage everyone to uh, send Marcus a tweet, an email, something. Let Listen, he's taking time out of his schedule to, uh, to hang out with us, to share some of his wisdom and insights. And so make sure that you uh, let him know how much you appreciate that. And uh, I know that that means a lot. So, dude, we appreciate you. Always good to chat with you, man, my friend. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Marcus. Just a great, great dude, great guy, amazing speaker, even better human being off the stage. And so hope you enjoyed that. Like I said, we had him on back in episode 117. So make sure that you go back and listen to that episode as well. Now, like I mentioned to you at the beginning, uh, if you are wondering how much you should be charging as a speaker, make sure you stop by and check out myspeakerfee.com. Myspeakerfee.com. Just answer a couple questions there and we'll uh, we'll tell you what you should be charging as a speaker. So again, check that out over at myspeakerfee.com speakerfee.com. All right, that uh, wraps up today's episode, episode 207. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.